0: You can step back against all of my ignorance and
1: I always do. Yeah. Welcome to this week's episode of Fear, Honor and Interest, the podcast where two straight white guys who went to Yale solve America's cultural divisions by talking about the weather. I'm your host, Charles Bovinger, coming to you from Rainy Washington, DC, with me on the line as always, from Istanbul. I think it's Istanbul, just in Turkey, but is it Istanbul specifically? Istanbul, yeah. Is my co host David Will David? What's the weather like? It's rainy, Charles. Well, so, see, our world
0: is a small place. Yeah. And it's, we either share weather on the East Coast, uh, mid-Atlantic, or we share it some, what, 2,000, 4, 4,500? 4, Definitely not 2,000, 4,500, let's say. I will not away. even
1: venture a guess at the number of miles that separate us right now because I'm not very good at that. <laughs>
0: I was listening to some uh, lectures on Operation Barbarossa and the Uh-oh. Russian, the Red Army's defeat of the Nazi war machine. So I feel like those types of things are important, knowing how many miles it is from Washington to Istanbul. Right.
1: Well, that's there's a saying I've heard that um, colonels talk strategy, generals talk logistics.
0: Uh, amateurs and professionals is how I've heard that. Oh, okay. That's right. Yeah. Right. yeah. Yeah, I mean, and, a, can... and a a colonel in uh, you know in army logistics, it better be talking logistics. <laughs> you would hope so,
1: but uh, what he really wants to do is direct. Um, right. Yes. All right. Yeah. So, how have
0: you been, David? Um, I have been. I've been busy. You know, it's been uh, a couple of weeks. I've also been impatient for you to upload our our well i was gonna say i've also
1: been busy and that's why we haven't uploaded the last two episodes (laughs) because i need to still edit them and post them and um not having a government shutdown last for it didn't end up affecting a full work day for me because the the monday of the shutdown we came in for four hours to get things tidied up for the rest of the shutdown so we still had to be up early and we still had to, you know, be in the office and get stuff done. And um, when I got home, I was so exhausted. I, I fell asleep and didn't get up, didn't wake up until Tuesday, um, except to wake up from my phone telling me that the shutdown was over.
0: <laughs> and oh, uh... I was
1: going to have to go back to work on Tuesday. <laughs> so um, that was, I My had really planned to catch up on a lot of things during the shutdown. And then because the shutdown didn't end up giving me a single day to even sleep in, um, I just felt further behind on lots of this stuff. And alas, editing this podcast was one of the sacrificial victims, which is why before this, our listener will have um, heard a bunch of really untimely episodes (laughs) about, hey, it's Martin Luther King Day tomorrow. And hey, the government is about to shut down. Right, But uh, that's how life goes sometimes. I like to think yeah. of it as bonus packages for the loyal listeners who, you know, they were patient to wait for a while, and now they can get three uploaded all at once and just binge. And that's what we all want to do, isn't it? <laughs> right. right. I may intentionally not upload the other ones until a few days apart, just for that reason. But they, they will become... Um, or this Weird. one will probably be the
0: easiest to edit and I can just throw it up immediately and confuse everyone. No, I think that's what you should do. Okay. and then good. release the next ones, you know in reverse you've, order. You've you've hinted at them now. Yes. And uh, yeah. They're mysteries. We're talking about we're, you know, we're we're pushing the boundaries here, we're pushing the envelope on experimental podcast. Oh well, yeah theory
1: we have to break the fourth wall i just want everybody to know that one of the episodes that requires a lot of editing requires it because we had beer while talking (laughs) and and we went (laughs) and mostly ranted about star wars so that one is coming up down the line yeah um
0: but anyway uh... don't 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 poke that uh nest of Anyway, I don't even know where I was going with that.
1: that, I, I, that had, I had a dream the other day about the next movie in the Star Wars, the, the next numbered Star Wars movie, where it was just like complete nonsense. And the plot was just like super stupid and ruined everything. And I remember us all just walking out in the dream. We all just walked out of the theater. And we're like, well, that's about what we
0: expected. <laughs> So anyway. You know, my mom finally saw it and agreed with me fully, so I feel vindicated. Well, That's if you just... want to know what
1: it is his mother is agreeing with, you'll find out when the drunken lost episode <laughs> yeah. appears. Because Stay we both tuned. Got, yeah. yeah, I'd love to call it the Drunken Lost episode, despite the fact that we each had exactly one beer. Right. <laughs> and it was late at night, it wasn't early in the morning. There was no there was no day drinking. That's not what we do here. Um Well, I guess we do according to professional word.
0: Yeah. Responsible young professionals who respond to unexpected uh days off by sleeping. <laughs> yes. Although I think that you know I think I think that sleeping, you know, catching up on sleep is is underrated in well, this world that we live in of hyper productivity and um you know, it's easy to think like, oh, you you know, half you spend um you know, one third of your if you spend one third of your life sleeping, isn't that a waste? Like, well, no, because you need to do that in order to be healthy. <laughs> so, right. Yeah. It's the old like you know if you,
1: sharpen, time that... if you're cutting down a tree and you sharpen your saw, the time spent sharp, sharpening your saw is going to help with cutting down the tree. So you know exactly. if you don't spend that exactly. time, it might take longer to sharp down. But
0: there's I a time would... and a season for every purpose under heaven. Exactly. I would point out that
1: Donald Trump gets very little sleep. And is known for his hyperactivity, and um, I remembered reading somewhere that a lot of <laughs> I rest his, my case. <laughs> right, a lot of his personality issues um, are very similar to the effects one gets from sleep deprivation. So, I I rest my case again. And he's one of those guys who's obnoxious about oh you're wasting time sleeping. So your case, which did not need further bolstering, is quite bolstered. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: you no, know, oh. I I. Well-rested. Well-rested, indeed. Um, God, Bill sorry. Clinton, some years ago, actually, I remember him saying on The Daily Show that he had a theory that a lot of the partisan rancor in Washington is caused by lack of sleep. He says part of the problem is, Fair. these, especially when they're congressmen who have to keep shuttling back and forth between here and their districts um, all the yeah. time, and they're up for re-election all the time. and They have to make fundraising phone calls all the time, which none of them like they have to do all of this stuff that makes them miserable and they have no time to just sleep and so they're all sleep deprived and sort of miserable and uh and that just is not a good recipe for people interacting well with each other because when you are sleep deprived you do tend to get you know more um you're more irritable just in general yeah yeah and more willing to just lash out at the other side for being in any way shape or form an obstacle
0: yeah so. And, you know, part of what we're interested in aiming at is trying to figure out what, um, well, you know, we're, we're as the true fans of, uh, you know, the diehard loyal fans of democracy, constitutionalism, and sort of classic 20th century liberalism. Uh, you know, we want to. We're interested in finding out what systems we have inherited, and that we can see, or that you know, we argue actually still work. And then, if, to the extent that those systems don't work, and you know, what directions we can tweak them, uh, direct them towards, in order to. Um, Maximize the efficiency of the system and the effectiveness and the the resilience of the system, and something like that, where it's like you know, the system that we have in politics between the actual, um, I mean, as you're pointing out now, like this aspect of just the way that people interact with each other, uh, at that you know, just in Washington itself, when they go back to their districts, these politicians, that they're doing it in a way that makes them personally impatient, irritable, snappy, and spiteful. And, okay, can we change that? Why Why are we, do people notice it? Is it only, you know, is the, is the president, is Bill Clinton right in diagnosing that? And if so, okay, how can we change it so that we make it better? In Twitter, it would be another example where It's just so much easier to play the game of Twitter if you play it to deliver these jolts of adrenaline, you know, through outrage or shock or um, sort of snide contempt. You know, if that's the new system, that is really bad. It's like, how can we, you know, how can we tweak that so that we're not like, I mean, it's, it's, the, you know, the image comes to mind of you know blearily you know bleary eyed staring at the phone in the middle of the night cuz you can't get away from it and you see mm-hmm. this 240 characters of of snark and bad faith and you know superficial thinking and then you you know wake up and go to the house gym and work out and then go dial for dollars for 6 hours <laughs> it's like anyway that's neither here nor there, because that's not really what we were planning to talk about. Well, but I feel yeah. that is part of what There are
1: no tangents, have we not determined uh, excuse me. exclusively? Excuse me. Um, I think it is part of what we're talking about, because we're about to talk about... Um, what we what we had mentioned talking about before would involve um, what it is like for some of these people under the in the institutions that are under siege from the current administration, and how this is a bizarre experience for them, having otherwise been, in many cases, conservatives. And I mean, it's, you know, it's one thing for State Department employees to feel besieged by a Republican administration. They expect that. Um, But when you've got the FBI under attack the way it's been under attack, not just by Trump, but by the way that every Republican has been willing to just completely go along with it. I mean, that's if you're an FBI agent who works, who've worked really hard for decades for the agency and for America, you know, when you wake up in the morning and you see that like, oh, Trump tweeted, there's there's two hundred eighty characters talking about what an awful partisan monster you are for doing your job and and how he expects you to be his personal police force to just arrest anybody he doesn't like and investigate them at his whim. That has to be right. inc- that has to be a, you know, not just disheartening in the way that State Department employees are disheartened, it has to be a shock.
0: Right. Right. And it's you know, my own perhaps sleep deprived uh, spiteful reaction to that is you know for at least some of them such as in the New York field office uh which was supposedly uh according to various reports you know they were the, they were leaking like a sieve um, and keeping their morale uh in you know their morale in place and their leaks in check was allegedly part of the motivation that comey had for this unprecedented way that he publicly commented on the clinton email investigation um you know i'm this sort of the spiteful little goblin inside me is very pleased to imagine that they are uh, you know, feeling under attack and shocked at this. A be
1: careful what you wish for, sort of thing. But but
0: it would be exactly yeah, well, right? I'm you know the goblin in me is now telling them, be careful what you wish right, for. Right, exactly. And of course, I acknowledge that I myself you know must be careful what I wish for and then, you know vanquish the spite in me, lest it, lest it uh, breed even worse things to come. Yes, I mean that's. In terms of
1: just rank partisan rancor and some of the divides that we have, um, it would be so much better if we didn't feel a need to punish people once we had won, uh, right. which I mean essentially that like, you know, if you're in Trump's place and you feel for whatever reason the FBI was too easy on Clinton, I mean, yeah, let's let's just, it's hard to get into his head space because it's a scary world in there, but um, if you're there let let's say we we come into office and we think the FBI was a little unfair to our opponent Well, now we've won and now we're in charge we don't have to spitefully try to get revenge on them right you don't have to do that you know it's
0: well except for oh, sorry yes what were you going well for... the, I didn't want to cut you off but um I'm going to cut you off I guess but uh, to go back to our fear honor and interest framework um, they can't be They can't be optimistic and they can't simply be confident that they won because they know that they won by a fluke, and they have to seize this opportunity to do as much as possible to set back the agenda of who you know those they see as their enemies, given the ground that they seized you know. It's, it's fear, honor, and interest. but the Spartans seeing a rising Athens, knowing that, you know, that their power is growing and that they have this opportunity now to strike and set back, you know, the, the you know, the, sort of impose their agenda, get their judges on the, on the bench for life, um,
1: well i meant I meant that differently from um, like just taking advantage of the situation. What I meant was more there 's a spitefulness to it in the way that Trump especially approaches it, where it 's people who have wronged him need to be punished and if you get away from a vengeful view of people who have wronged me need to be punished that 's much more productive
0: for everybody really because I'd certainly agree, but right. it, of course it doesn't it doesn't uh you know, this is, uh, politics should be, you know, we should be able to imagine politics as a positive sum game, but because of the genie that Trump let out of the bottle, um, uh, you know, those MAGA people don't see politics as a zero, As a, they they see it as a zero sum game. They see um the right version of America slipping away. And so they need to strike hard and ruthlessly without any compunctions for, you know, whether the Russians, uh, contributed to their victory, you know, whether, uh, you know, young people who have spent their entire lives in this country have as much of a right to call themselves Americans as anyone else, regardless of the fact that they don't have the paperwork to demonstrate it. Um, you know, they don't, uh, they have a, they have a vision that is forcing them, um, to act in this very urgent and ruthless manner, uh, because they, they see it as a zero sum game and not, um, you know, not the kind of politics in which people, rule and are ruled in turn you know the sort of ideal vision of politics from uh i believe that's Aristotle.
1: right um yes but uh th- that reminds me of uh, a line i heard somebody say last year i cannot remember it was somebody on twitter that the fundamental question of all of this was going to be whether um con- conservatives could show that they loved america more than they hated liberals
0: yeah. And yeah. that
1: the answer's essentially been so far they're failing that test. Um and when I I mean, I listen- the ones in power are, yeah, for right. sure. Right. When I listen to the rhetoric coming from people on the right, I mean it's 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 all about hating people on the left. It's all about you know, you hear people when, when they do those inter- those those now cliched interviews with Trump voters in Trump country. Right. And the voters basically are asked like, Well, what do you think about the fact that the tax cut just helps the rich? And they're like, oh well, you know, what really matters is that he he's really sticking it to those liberals. He's yeah. getting the hippies. He's he's getting those those lazy people on welfare wink wink. We know what we're talking about. Right. Um I mean that's that's essentially what it's that makes it zero sum. Well actually it's right. makes positive sum to them because they don't care what happens to the other people. They don't regard <laughs> that as a negative thing to average out. It's, yeah, yeah,
0: right. Well that's some interesting semantics about game three, but um yeah, we were sort of talking about this, or at least I was rambling semi-coherently about this before we started the the podcast. But, yeah, I think we're, I think we're um, more
1: coherent late at night with beer than we are early in the morning. But go on.
0: Well, I mean, talk, speak for yourself. I'm I'm eight hours ahead of you. Oh right. Um, but uh, well, I'm more coherent. The you know the thing about um, sort of confidence and you know, loving America more than you hate, you know, the other half of America that votes a different way from you. Um, one of the things that I've been, you know, in many ways, I am temperamentally conservative. In some ways I've been temperamentally very radical. Um, but the, you know, as I, as I look at the Democrats and the Republicans and imagine, okay, where does it make sense to commit my energies to try to make a party that reflects my views? It's like, I could imagine the Republican party purged of its ridiculous, disgusting elements, actually presenting a compelling case for my support. You know, like the parties change. We've talked about this Mm -hmm. uh, in the past. You know, they change over time. Um, I could equally imagine a Democratic Party, um, you know, becoming much much worse than it is, such that I would find it impossible to support that party. You know, but um, one of the things that, just to focus on on the Republicans and the conservatives, it's like one of the things that bothers me about that is this sort of conservative elements of my character, you know, that are yearning for the Republicans to make a compelling case for support. And it's like, there's so few, you know, so few Republicans and so few conservatives, at least the ones, I mean, in the era of Trump, so few of them who who seem to have power, um, who just make an optimistic, charismatic case for conservative principles being, like, self-evidently compelling, as opposed to, as I was saying before, it's like, they've just seized the reins of power, and they're going to punish everyone who doesn't believe things the way they do, you know, believe what they believe. It's like, if you believe in a certain way of life, just live that life and let the virtue of it speak for itself, you know, be loving, be confident, be happy and effective and productive, and... If that actually works, you know, people will follow that example because that's human nature. But if you like say that you're great and you talk about how good you are, and then the way that you try to get people to follow your example is by punishing everyone who has a different lifestyle, then like that, that is not compelling. It's un-American or it's not, you know, it's un-American in the sense that it's, uh, you know, whatever it reflects about the sort of brutal history of America and the actual textbooks it's, you know, it's um, antithetical to the idea of America that we believe in right? and, and want to push for and unfortunately uh, and, and then, you know, so then like the, you know, conservative half of my brain just sort of like sits glumly and silently and the liberal half laughs at it <laughs> we're not liberal, the, the sort of progressive radical. Yeah. You know. Right. Liberal is it's
1: I mean something that would be a split for me um if we had a sane Republican party and we're so far from there that yeah. this this is essentially a meaningless statement, but if there were to be a world in which I would be voting for the Republican party, it would be in large part because the left stops being liberal and starts being progressive where, right. um, liberal, you know, some, it, it's weird that liberals will use liberal as a slur when it's neat, when it's preceded by Neo. You
0: now you're a neoliberal. Yeah. You're well, I think, I think these terms actually, I mean, there is some, there's value in re-importing some of these terms as they're used in the rest of the world, you know, back to America. So, separate liberal from progressive and leftist because, you know, because they, they're actually very different things. It's just in America, we've allowed ourselves to think very sloppily about these terms because they're used as polemics, you know, by both right wingers and the left, um, various elements of the left to say, you know, as you're putting it like, Oh, you know, Hillary Clinton's a neoliberal shill so liberal in that sense actually refers to this sort of european um definition of of a liberal party as um based on the individual not not group identities uh free market um constitutional you know these types of things you know elements of classical liberalism uh you know but then the right says liberal and it's like everybody you know to the left of uh, Stalin. Stalin. Actually, I guess Stalin is no, kind left of left-wing. Left left. Never mind. Yeah, right, I just left, didn't want to so. say Hitler.
1: <laughs> <That> was, <Yeah. laughs> I knew that was a bad thing to do, but yeah. um, the next example that came to mind wasn't great either. Um, but yeah, I mean, I yeah, there, there, we one of the things we say here is that there's value in labels. There's value in getting our terms right. There's value in knowing what we're saying and believing that words matter. And whether that word is liberal, progressive, conservative, neoliberal, neoconservative, it matters that we have some sense of what we're talking about when we use them, so we don't just start referring to people as crazy, the most liberal. Have you noticed how the Republicans will always claim whoever the Democratic nominee is is the most liberal member of the Senate? They have the most liberal voting record in the Senate. They will always say that, even if the numbers – you have to really massage (laughs) the numbers to get to that – like. Well, he voted the most liberally between October and november twenty twelve and it's, you really have to do that, but somebody once said he had the most liberal voting thing in the record in the Senate yeah, right. for a period of time um, yeah, so it would be i mean you, as I recall once upon a time, had one of those no labels lapels um uh, did I ever?
0: I remember Wear. you wearing one no once. Because I, the yeah. only reason I remember this is oh that I God. made a joke about how it should say "no lapels." <laughs> that that would be an un, unforgettable pin yeah. or an unforgettable pun, excuse me. Right. Um, Except that you clearly uh, did forget it. So well to you, because
1: you would have the pride of ownership. Oh well, of course yeah. I wouldn't forget. I remember every <laughs> funny thing I've ever said, which is a lot. My memory <laughs> is pretty spectacular, but. Right. But that was like that was a, the, the no labels thing was, was a good idea, but I felt like part of the problem was
0: as an actual thing. Well, you know, I mean, this is the point is it's it's actually not a good idea because labels and precision are, are very important. You know? Right. And this is this is what we're just this is what we're talking about now. It's not eliminate labels, not pretend that we can live in a country with where people don't use labels politically. It's let's actually try to use labels that reflect some reality, you know? So right. which in practice is liberal, the opposite of all. What labels does it actually mean? <laughs> you know, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, obviously every, I mean, we, we are distracted and confused and spiteful creatures. And so we, you know, we twist words whether we want to or not. Um, and often, you know, do so for, for negative Sort of selfish reasons, but um, yeah, but we but we can try to do better, and uh, that 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 effort can succeed. And uh, and this is an example of what we're talking about, where like you know the Bernie Sanders left, you know the Bernie Sanders remnants, the you know Democratic Socialists of America, you know these are people who have an interest in distinguishing between left and liberal. And they have maybe a sort of a biased interest because they want to characterize liberal as something bad, perhaps um but you know that that that's fine with me because as if they're getting that distinction out there that to me is is helpful and useful because we should be thinking distinctly about these categories, progressive and uh liberal let's say um and Yeah, that strikes me as a good thing more labels better labels uh you know the only labels that are bad are like sort of um self-evidently stupid distracting labels like pro-life or you know or um i don't know um I mean, because it's just like, who isn't pro life? Like, obviously, we're all pro life. That's a dumb label, you know, or anti choice, even, you know, because that's somewhat more
1: accurate. Um, but it's people who are anti choice tend to be the ones in favor of
0: school vouchers and school choice and all those other forms of choice. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, it's not a good, it's not a good label. It's, it's, I mean, it's a good label because it's, I mean, arguably perhaps it is a good label because it serves its actual intended purpose of making people angry and fearful and therefore you know rally to support their team against the enemy but obviously the the systemic effect of that is a bad one i would say so not no labels more labels and better labels that's what i say okay well, of course do you, those of us in the reality-based community little know little that labels will say. never
1: be used responsibly, <laughs> so we just have to we have to act in the world we're given. Today. Reality-based we community, now that's, a, now, that's a, now that's a label. That <laughs> is, yeah, well, it's a label that doesn't apply to enough people, I think. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, one of the things we were talking about earlier that I'm going to bring up here, without a huge segue, but it does apply, is um when we were talking about we were talking about Trey Gowdy earlier. Um <laughs> this is pre podcast recording turning on on. Um we were talking about Trey Gowdy earlier and the strange sort of path he's had with um um with the uh what
0: are you doing? I turned off the microphone and sneezed so it wouldn't make a distraction. Oh, what are you doing?
1: with the sound turned off, I could not figure out what that movement was. <laughs> Sorry, everybody. I just – my train of thought went completely out the window because I just saw this very absurd, silent thing that appeared to be a pantomime of I don't know what, but I guess it was a sneeze. So
0: Let's try to edit this out. No, we
1: are not editing this out. I might even put this in front of the cold open. um all right yeah so we're talking about trey gowdy and he's somebody whose behavior has been interesting to me because um in my mind i conflated him a lot in the past with louis gohmert um who you may recall is one of the most like just horrifically awful republicans in congress because trey gowdy was in charge of the benghazi investigation if i recall correctly and because of that You know, he came in for a lot of flack from the left about, well, all of the way that all of that was being handled, which was, I think, legitimate flack. But because of that, I had it in my mind that he was this absurdly out there person. But when we had this Nunes memo, Nunes memo come out this week, he was one of the guys who said, you know, this this doesn't show any of the stuff you're claiming it shows to the Republicans. He was actually being reasonable and saying Mueller's uh, investigation Mm -hmm. should continue and I was kind of shocked by that because, as I said, I keep confusing him in my mind with crazier members of the Republican caucus.
0: Yeah, um, I think it could be that he's finally gotten tired of being a partisan hack who's hurting America, and now. No, I doubt that. Um, well, but he is tired of it, and then well, he's, he's leaving. That's um, true. So, you know, I think, um, you'd have to do a lot of work to convince me that he's, that that express, that that is the expression of some consistent behavior, uh, of even handedness. That, you know, if you look really, if you squint really hard and look between the lines, you can see him being even handed all the way back. Um, uh, I imagine that it's more like, okay, he's, he's sick of it. And now he can attempt to, I mean, either, you know, he's been having these urges to be a decent person and, and be truthful and, uh, fair minded, you know, he's been repressing them in order to stay in his seat or, um, you know, and that's what, and that's what he's tired of is, is tired of repressing those urges. um, you know, or something else has sort of erupted. But, um, you know, I think I think it's clear that uh, this is, you know, a break from the past, given um, his role, as you said. And, you know, obviously, the, you know, I mean, the way he's, he's become nationally known to the extent that he is, is, is as the head of the House Select Committee on Benghazi. Which, and, and that's, it's so frustrating because it's like, because that is... I mean, in, in like, in an ideal, well, I mean, not an ideal, in, like, a decent world, you know, with decent politicians, you would have, you would have had, you know, the House Special Committee, the House Select Committee on Benghazi, right? Like, congressional oversight of the executive is important. When a U.S. ambassador is killed, it is a good thing to have Congress investigate that. You know, when when the administration is mealy-mouthed and vague and unclear about explaining what happened, it's a good thing to have a congressional investigation of that. Um, but when you take a good thing and twist it into a you know ultra politicized effort to torpedo the presumptive uh, presidential nominee of the opposite party, then you know, all that is good in what you're doing is then magnified a hundred times into really, you know, this is the way I see it, um, you know, into uh, into vice. All, all the virtues that you could have claimed are, you know, dwarfed by this monumental vice of, of corrupting that uh, important process into and turning into a political one. I agree you know, with that. It's like, it's like when someone's making an argument, and they have a really good argument, and then they characterize their opponent, and they uh, either intentionally or unintentionally mischaracterize their opponent's argument. It's like, if you just left this out and stayed with your really good argument, then I would have believed you. But now right. you're you're telling me a lie about what the opponent thinks. And so that makes me suspect that you don't actually believe your own argument. And now you've lost me forever. <laughs> you
1: know? That's a fair point. Yeah. yeah, there are a lot of... Uh, this is something I've noticed with online comments, an area one should generally stay away from, <laughs> yeah, which is well, that a person can make a perfectly legitimate, wonderful point, but if he adds anything extraneous that doesn't entirely hold up, then no one will listen to the good point. They'll just you know, harp on the extraneous bit and how that proves they don't know anything rather than engaging with the substance of the argument. Um, but what you, you know, it, and it's what you just said about Benghazi is a, as a, as an investigation that needed to happen is I think spot on. It didn't necessarily need to have the whatever 17 separate investigations or whatever it was they gave it. It's the sort of thing right. that we needed to get to the bottom of, but not the way that we did. But the contrast between that and the Russia hacking emails is one of the most shocking things because you they cared so much about getting to the bottom of Benghazi but they don't even want to look at they're really in the hear no evil see no evil speak no evil mode when it comes to the Russia hacking which they're still not all entirely willing to admit even happened right it's and one of the things that I find um, increasingly disturbing is when we get to a lot of scandals where it's not really clear what the scandal is um, where yeah. it's just like it's become a, a term that you just throw out. Um, <laughs> an example of this would be, so during Benghazi, I remember Bill Maher having this discussion with somebody on his show once upon a time. And um, I think Bill Maher wasn't very good at following this up with his explanation. At least at the time he wasn't because he said or maybe this is exactly illustrative of what I want to say. He said to one of to like his Republican guests, so what is the scandal in Benghazi? He's like, you keep saying Benghazi, 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 and I don't understand what is the scandal. And they'd just go, well, four Americans died. And he would say that's not like, – that's bad, but that's not yeah. a scandal. That's an event. That's that is an event. An event. That what's, is a what's tragedy. Yeah. Um, not every tragedy is a scandal. And right. and so he's sort of like – so and, and that, I thought, was, was a really – illuminating window into how it was being thought about, which is it's enough that there's a thing we can harp on that was bad to make it a scandal um, for there to, and, and they would bring up these little elements to try to, you know, completely unsupported elements to it. Like, Oh, well, Hillary Clinton's personally told, you know, the military to stand down so that they couldn't help these people because she wanted them to die for some unknown reason. Right. Is it when you actually articulate the scandal, it's so stupid in terms of what it is they're alleging that it doesn't make sense. So you can't articulate the scandal. You have to just call it by its name. And by simply saying Benghazi, you've essentially laundered the meaning of the scandal. You're trying to get out there into something less insane sounding. Um, There was a moment with Bobby Jindal. And I remember during the 2016 primaries, I think, where he, um, it sounded for a moment like he almost just had a, a sort of Republican scandal Tourette's syndrome <laughs> because he um, he was just like randomly spouting off words that, that had no – it wasn't a sentence. He was just saying like, Benghazi, fast and furious, and you're, you're just throwing out all of those things that um, – You know, people who watch Fox News all the time would immediately know, oh, this is a bad thing and a scandal. But if you're not part of that community that just has all of these things they immediately are trained to react to, it just sounded like a really bad sentence. Which is not to say that the sentence I just gave was spectacular either, but I wasn't giving a speech.
0: Yeah. Well, no, it's it's interesting too. This is provoking my thinking in... uh, a way that it's bringing me back to grading um, student papers and the finals from this class that I was uh, assisting in the instruction of this fall at Princeton. And, um, you know, it's just interesting when people are communicating in the framework of ideas that are, that that have a structure. There are a lot of different words that you can use to express those ideas. But if you haven't figured out, you know, if the student has not figured out what those ideas are and what the structure of those ideas has to be in order to write the paper, then they often get stuck in like particular phrases that seem to make sense to them, but don't actually mean anything. Like a lot of management
1: jargon or something like that.
0: Well, I mean, not in the class that I was talking about, you know, because I wasn't in the class, but exactly. And so, you know, there are all sorts of examples of this, um, in different fields where, you know, uh, know, there's like, uh, you know, management consultant jargon is a pretty richly established genre. Um, you know, political jar- jargon is another one. Um, I mean, it, you know, e- it's even there for the Republican. Exactly. Now you're talking about yeah. Republican. Yeah, like the you know the after. Uh, the after, know, after conference. We just had do. to put more points on the board. <laughs> yeah. You know. yeah, yeah. Um, We're we'll looking to the. You next know, it's, it's like the words. The words in those contexts, in a sense, the words don't need to mean anything because it, it's just kind of it's just kind of going through the motions. Right. Like, sometimes no you are kind being called expectation. Out. Yeah.
1: Sometimes you are being but... called
0: out for a ritual and not for an actual communication. Exactly. Exactly. And that's, and that's essentially what the, what you were saying, uh, you know, Republican scandal Tourette's, um, is, is like the sort of ritual of, of blame where it's like, it's just a litany, you know, it, it, and that's going back to the language of ritual. And, you know, that's what that is. It, it doesn't mean anything. It's just a form, um, or it doesn't it doesn't mean anything to people who don't already believe it? It's just for the the faithful to hear their faith affirmed. And so Bobby Jindal tried to get up there and you know just uh, recite the the creed. And because in the primary, you know the role of the media um, is you know, it, has its, it has its effect and. Anyway, just to get away from Jindal, as part of the reason that Trump was so um, powerful is that he caught everyone's attention because he broke all those forms. Right. You know, aside from other things that characterized this, and particularly the reason he caught the media's attention and got so much free media was that he broke all the forms. And so it was fresh and new and interesting. It wasn't just the litany. Um, he had no real ideas. I mean, he, wasn't, he didn't have, like, consistent ideas and a structure, but he had, um, you know, he had a series of very compelling ideas that existed in this sort of weird cloud um, that he could refer to. But it was all in a way that was, you know, that was very fresh and interesting um, for the media, and so they, logged, they latched onto it and gave him that platform. And then it was obviously compelling enough for the, you know, thirty whatever percent of Republicans in most of those primaries, and now the thirty or so percent of Americans who still support him. Yeah. That's yeah.
1: I mean he definitely yeah, I mean he and but, but also by breaking those forms, he created his own forms that have taken right, over right. shockingly well, because... quickly. Exactly. I mean, those no. things are cliches. Yeah, yeah the, the parody of the Trump tweet is already cliched, right. where it right. just, you have like a nonsensical statement with a bunch of parenthetical asides to praise yourself, and then you just end with sad. Right. Like
0: that's. Yeah, because he's not a powerful thinker. I mean, Obama, the, the point that Obama was clear, every single thought that he expressed was clearly, you know, words chosen to express a well structured idea. Obama and Obama stopped think a, about what he was about to say a lot of times. Exactly. And so and, and and William and Jefferson Clinton also uh talked like that often. Um and you know, George W. Bush. Now, you know, when he talks, he's not he's not putting on the Bubba role right. as much. Um and you can hear that same uh that same articulation. But um yeah, anyway. Obviously, you know, all these people are politicians, and they so, so they have moments when they just do the rituals, um, but, you know, I'm, you can tell that um, there's some kind of choice in that, whereas Trump now, it's like, you know, I'm not, I, I think he is playing a role in a way that a lot of people don't seem to want to acknowledge, the, the people who were talking about dementia and all that. Mm. Um, I'm not completely against the idea that he is deteriorating mentally, Um, especially given, I mean, we know that being president, you know, puts those people under so much stress that even Trump with his, you know, blithe disregard for the welfare of, you know, human beings around him and, uh, you know, his sort of, being used to this, all, all publicity is good publicity, and, and having a thick skin, you know, it's got to be affecting him. Uh, the, the stress of being in that position has got to be affecting him as well. And he's an old man; he's not particularly physically healthy, and so I can imagine. No, he's the healthiest um, president ever, didn't you hear? Obviously, yeah, um, yeah. So I can imagine him deteriorating uh, pretty quickly in that position. So I'm not, I'm not ruling it out entirely, but I'm not. It, obviously, there's this whole like left wing, you know, people who just hate him so intensely that they're willing to believe anything negative mm-hmm. about him. I'm, I'm far from one of those people.
1: I mean, I'll, I'll agree but, with that
0: too. It's, yeah.
1: it's interesting. although he, you know, he had this thing where he said, Oh, I scored so well on this cognitive test. <laughs> that was hilarious. Yeah. But a couple of things like, about that are strange can... to me. One is he didn't give us his score. Two is we don't have the scores of the other presidents so how would he know well, that? You seen the, the first... test, right? Oh, I've seen the test, or at least parts yeah. of it. I haven't seen the entire test. Um, where it's just like, what is this? And it's a it's a drawing of a lion, um, right. or a camel, or something like that. Yeah. Or draw a cube. Um, yeah, I don't. You know, it it's possible that he did score better than other people on a test like that because he's kind of hyperactive, and so a lot of those tests are about how quickly you do it, not about mm. you know the thought process behind it. In fact, it almost seems like a Trump designed test. You see a thing and you shout out the name that it is without thinking, you know, right. whereas somebody like Obama could be like, well, that is this breed of lion. You know, this is a male lion off exactly, the right.
0: <laughs> going too far there. Um, right.
1: This well, is this hilarious. This, this goes
0: back to, we were talking about this before, I think this was before the, we started recording, right? Where, yeah, uh, you know, we were talking about how, if you know too much, like I was trying oh, to Oh yeah, we were, yeah. The yeah. name of John Adams and I, I went with Henry Adams because... It's like I know too much to reliably reach for the obvious answer, like ninety percent of the time, and then like because my brain, you know, burst out with this uh, this other thing that it like actually shows more knowledge but less mastery of the knowledge. And you had your example of uh,
1: yeah trivia, trivia
0: like knowing knowing far too much to be able to respond in time quickly and confidently mm-hmm. in time yeah yeah I mean anyway so like
1: that, but that's but I mean so I, I say like one thing we talk about not just assuming the worst about Donald Trump all the time it is worth considering me he probably actually could have scored quite well on that test and you have to be prepared for the idea that him scoring well on a cognitive test
0: doesn't destroy your worldview right and that's you were right right and that's Part of the I mean this is so obvious and, and easy a point to make that it doesn't even seem worth doing, but it's like if you if you are so negative that you actually hear yourself saying, You know this man is demented, he is out of his mind, and then you know then you expose yourself to being shown the results of this test, and it's like no he you know he's not demented. like he's a bad person right he says stupid things all the time but just like why allow yourself to get so excited and deranged by your hatred that you're willing to to say these things that are that end up being refutable then you have to you have to backtrack it's like it's just it's just anyway it's not my style but it it works for other people
1: i mean that is what a lot of people did with bush too yeah his problem was that he was not intellectually curious at least early on as i understand it he got more intellectually curious later on But at the beginning, he thought, "Okay, we know what we're doing. We don't need to listen to all of these experts and then got into trouble because of that and then later started to value the experience of experts. He wasn't incapable of thought the way a lot of people wanted to pretend he was. Trump seems incapable of understanding when he's made a mistake. But, I mean, we don't know enough yet. At this point in Bush's term, a lot of people said that, too.
0: Yeah, I mean, but he – it's the opposite of that. Though, because the the thing that seems closest to the truth about like the, the sort of um, the criticism of Trump that seems closest to the truth is that he just agrees with whoever the last person was no, who spoke with true. him, and so it's not that he doesn't you know he's not curious or critical or anything. It's just that like he he knows nothing. He actually knows so little about how anything actually works you know, he's got such a narrow w- worldview and narrow area of expertise that, um, he just kind of smiles and nods. And so, you know, um, I mean, this, this episode with Diane Feinstein and, uh, you know, the DACA negotiations where it's like, you know, she oh, yeah. says something and he's like, Oh yeah, definitely. That's, that's what we are. And it's like Kevin McCarthy has to step in. He's like, Oh, sir. Yeah. That's you know, not what we mean. Remember? He's like, yes. That's not what we mean at all. Um, I mean, it's, it's so absurd. It's so exaggerated that it's, that it's funny, uh, at some level, but obviously quite, quite bleak and, and not funny in reality. Um, but, uh, you know, but it's interesting. We were talking, you know, I was talking, I was talking at least about, um, the kind of attempt to imagine, uh, each party Appealing to me. And then Mm -hmm. the question of, uh, which party makes more sense for me to attempt to join in the effort of reshaping it in my image. Um, and with the partisan hacks in the Republican party feeling compelled to, um, attack the FBI, you know, you've got all these conservative, leaning people in the FBI, obviously there are, you know, liberals and left leaning people as well. Um, but you know, our our understanding and certainly our, um, assumption here is that it's like mostly a right leaning organization. (laughs) It's interesting to imagine like how many of them are thinking, uh, well, to the extent that I engage in politics now, maybe it's like, I should either flood, you know, I should engage more in Republican politics to try to right the ship or is it like, Oh man, this ship is sinking. I got to get off. I mean, and then hopefully, hopefully I can, you know, support some moderate Democrats in my district. Yeah. I it's... wonder, I wonder what they're thinking and you know, what that kind of calculation is. That Republican
1: been. ship right now is pretty toxic. It's, and it's pretty damaged.
0: It's, it mean, deserves they, to be.
1: It does deserve to sink. It does deserve to have them flee and have to make a whole new party at this point. But it's weird because, as you say, there's a lot of tension between we know this is a sort of a thing that needs to be done, but it's so toxic right now that does it make sense to try to go in and, and fix anything right there when you'll just end up tainted for the rest of your career? Oh, he tried at this point. And people yeah. are like, well, maybe the Republicans will disband, and the good ones will go off to some new party. And I just don't really, you know, we we that happens about once every hundred years in American uh, politics. I guess it's been 150 years yeah. you know, of Democrats and Republicans. It could be due, but I don't see that happening as long as. Um, I mean, the, the numbers just aren't there. I don't see how you'd win if you created this party that you called the Conservative Party. I don't know how you would win when when a, a nice – such a – it sounds like if you make the conservative party, you're basically just bringing over the Rockefeller Republicans that are nearly extinct and can't win elections anyway. Um,
0: right. You're not getting is the. I mean this is the problem is that it's the strength of the Democratic Party that has prevented the emergence of a left – Progressive party, liberal centrist party, and xenophobic nationalist populist party. Right? Like, like ideally, you'd have, you know, forty percent. I don't know. Whatever. You know, thirty percent, forty thirty to forty percent left party. Uh, thirty to forty percent. You know, it's like think. Of, I don't know. Think of um, like England, Germany, or something, okay. or England. It's like you'd have the Greens, you know, you'd have the uh, Christian Democrats. You have the Social Democrats, the Christian Democrats, and Alternative for America. (laughs) Right. And, um, you know, as long as you keep the Alternative for America in the teens and 20s, then you're good. But it's precisely because the Christian Democrats, you know, the ones who are more liberal than right-leaning um, are with the uh, are with the Democrats in America. And they haven't defected. If all of them defected from the Democratic Party and joined with the Republicans who are trying to defect from the Republican Party to create the conservative party, and instead it's like, okay, let's just make the liberal party, then that would work. But they're sticking with the Democrats. And so it's the strength of the Democratic Party, while the Republican Party is going crazy, um that is actually, you know, leading to this. At least in my in my view, mm. anyway. And that leads to, I mean,
1: that the sort of point that part of how Donald Trump sneaks in to become president is that you've got these very narrow margins. So if you try yeah, to exactly the time you would take to do a sort of realignment where some people leave the Democrats to go off with some of the moderate Republicans and, and do whatever. You'll lose a bunch of elections trying to get that alignment in shape. And if right. one of those elections is Donald Trump, that's pretty problematic. I had, by the way, I had a, a an, an idea the other day for a Black Mirror episode <laughs> where it turns out that this whole time Fox News is serious, reliable journalists doing hard-hitting, true and accurate stories. But they're under a Cassandra type curse that they come off looking <laughs> like buffoons and in large parts of the country won't listen to them. All That's this funny. time they were right and we thought they were just buffoons going out and doing crazy stuff.
0: That's funny. Yeah. I, a former student of mine um, po- posted something on Facebook uh, like, yeah, yesterday where um, she saw this he was apparently walking through town and saw vines going up the side of a building and was moved by this and posted some poetry about um you know life and green and renewal and everything and said and then had like hashtags and and made it about <laughs> um dreamers okay. you know and, and immigrants and stuff and i found this incredibly moving because it's like, okay, I get what you're saying, which is life, green, refresh, rejuvenation, you know, Mother Nature, God I mean, God only knows what, young people. Um but it's like this is a bad metaphor because you tear down vines because they damage the structures that they build on. <laughs> And so, like, she's actually simultaneously, you know, showing her imagined view of the world, which is believe in the future, believe in youth, believe in life, you know, but also sharing a nativist meme, which is, you know, tear out the weeds before they destroy the foundation. And I found it incredibly telling that she couldn't even imagine the way that nativists would see it, you know, which is like, and you can say whatever you want about whether their fear reflects reality um, or, you know, whether you can accept their fear uh, or sympathize with it in any way, or whether it is despicable and a reflection of cowardice or whatever, you know, you can talk about, you can have that discussion, but it just struck me as, as really, you know, Powerful that uh, that you couldn't even imagine uh, that.
1: Yeah, I think, anyway. you know what? I think that's actually a pretty good sign-off for today. How about that? How about that? Thanks, Charles. There are yeah. no tangents. There are only good sign-offs. Yeah. With that, dear friends, I'll check on, we'll, we'll be back for you guys next week. Is that a thing <laughs> that he says looking at David? <laughs> Yeah, let's do it. Okay, see you guys next time.